Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I've got Mike Jones back. I'll let him introduce himself in a second, but Mike has recently been on our podcast. The reason that I brought him back was we were talking at another event and the topic of privacy and operational security came up. And I think Mike would be an ideal guest to talk about that topic. So Mike, just in case somebody hasn't seen you, they haven't seen the last podcast that you featured in, can you give us a quick introduction to your background? Sure. My name is Mike Jones, and I'm originally from the States, and I was one of the original members of Anonymous, and I now live in London and trying to further the cybersecurity message throughout the UK. Awesome. So what we were talking about kind of off camera was around um, privacy and operational security, or I guess we'll just we'll call it OPSEC for the rest of the episode. But really what I was um, interested in was, was two main things. So we'll kind of try and cover these two questions as we go through. But the, the first question would be for people who don't understand how important privacy is, you know, why should somebody care about privacy? And then the second question to kind of keep rumbling through as the theme of this episode would be how that interacts with your background of being a part of Anonymous and how kind of personal privacy interacts with operational security around things like um, both, you know, being a member of Anonymous, but just just day to day being safe. So I guess the opening point would be, why is privacy important? Well, privacy is important not only for you as an individual, but also the people around you, because your lack of operational security and privacy uh, can can affect their security. Um, So within Anonymous, within my family units, within friend circles, always try to push the message of privacy and, and you know, be smart about what you do. Uh, take, for instance, like taking photos um, mm-hmm. and leaving, you know, the GPS function on on your iPhone and giving your latitude and longitude of, of where you took the photo and then posting on social media. Um, those those are the type of things when, when I look at OPSEC, I look at all the little things. So when you look at operational security from a military standpoint, um, it was very stringent. Um, there were certain things that they pounded into our into our brains as far as you know what to do to protect OPSEC, take different routes home um, from work, uh, never post you know too much. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was going to intelligence school, we weren't allowed to post anything. Um, it was very clean and closed environment. Yeah. Um, but operational security can affect everybody that, that's around you and definitely yourself. I think that that's interesting actually to open with the fact that if people are thinking this isn't important to me, you know, the, the stereotype of I've got nothing to hide. Well, there might be people around you who, who do and you can you can be you can disclose that information very frequently when when we're targeting organizations on the penetration testing side of things, security testing is very frequent that the you know the target organization of their staff won't necessarily be the people leaking the information. It'll be the people their staff are affiliated with. Exactly, informer employees and et cetera. But operational security, you know, I'm sure that you went through the same thing mm-hmm. with the military, yeah. um, going through the operational security training. Uh, and it was a matter of life or death when it came to doing intelligence work in the field. Uh, carrying out operational security was, was pretty paramount. Um, and when I look back at my days in Anonymous, same thing. Um, and a lot of our practices for OPSEC kind of mirrored the military military version of it. Um, and there's some natural reasons for that. There were several members from the military that came into Anonymous, but we all practice OPSEC. And there's even full distributions uh, for operational security, like TAILS, for instance. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's pretty popular. I think that's one operating system that Snowden kind of pushes his tails. Um, but there's ways to protect yourself. It's just a matter of, of knowing what your risk is, your level of risk, and looking at your day-to-day operations um, and trying to figure out how you can minimize your, your, foot, your footprint while keeping you know, operations you know, moving. Yeah, there's a thing you, you mentioned there talking about um, the GPS coordinates within, within photographs. I think a lot of people don't even know that that's a feature, right? Your, um, your cell phone will tag the location of photographs and you know sometimes these devices are configured to to prompt you the first time that they do that but you know when you're first setting up your phone you're not necessarily thinking from a privacy point of view right you're thinking from this is new and i want to play with it right um but the, the thing is um this is this is really frequently a thing that i do for physical access pen testing so looking at the breaking into building side of things so we'll mm-hmm. use uh social media not necessarily looking for photographs where gps coordinates are a part of the image in the EXIF data because that's very frequently stripped by social networks. But where mm. people are physically like checking into locations, right. so you know you can do location searches on on things like Instagram. I I want to search for this um, location, and if that location is is separated, you know, if we're targeting a facility, um, one I was looking at this week, in fact, is a, is a factory. And there's no other buildings near it. So if you, if you do a search to say, you know, show me all of the photographs that people have checked in near this coordinates, it's mm. all going to be people taking photographs from that company. Sometimes that's people uh, just taking a selfie, but they're wearing their ID badge. Or sometimes right. there's people taking photographs inside the facility and they're given enough of those images. You can start working out like internal layouts of buildings, layouts of CCTV, layouts of door locks, those kinds of things. Exactly. And also, the you know, you look at the CCTV on, on all the freeways and stuff, especially in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, people get into those CCTVs all the time. And, and one of the things that I try to push when I, when I talk about security as far as uh, privacy and, and personal security is try to leave as little trace as possible, right? So if you, let's say you're going on vacation and, and you don't necessarily want to let everybody know where you're at or when you're leaving, the last thing you want to do is start posting photos to social media. Mm-hmm. And like you said, most, most social media block um, the GPS tags um, but with uh, identification, like in photos, I've seen people take photos and just small objects within the photo, and from that small object, be able to tell exactly who it is, what time of day, location, and just build a whole entire intelligence picture based on that one little object in the photo. Yeah, and, and I mention, you know, looking at social media and looking at you know, multiple photographs, because you're absolutely right. A photograph can have huge amounts of information in it, even if it doesn't seem to be the center of the image or or, uh, to disclose a lot. Given multiple images, you get more out. But I remember one recently I was looking at, in fact, it was was last year looking at another factory facility. Somebody took a photograph of their lunch, but in the Mm -hmm. background, you could see the machinery. And in fact, there was a a workstation desktop on there. The, The reason that that became relevant was looking at things like the software and the software versions that that um, that organizations running, you know, silly things like what PDF reader are they using? Uh, but exactly. it's it's on it's on the desktop. So yeah, a lot of it is not necessarily the thing you're taking the photograph off, but it's like what's in the background? What else can you see? What can you infer from that that image? Yeah, exactly. And the biggest breach to operational security that I've seen uh, within my career, um, a friend of mine, Tom Ryan, did uh, Operation Robin Sage and create a, a fake profile of this intelligence worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's probably 20-something. Um, I won't go into where the photo came from, the actual person, but it was a real person. But Tom created a profile, 
use this person to befriend people in the military and the government, law enforcement, um, you know, in the U.S. And people were asking her out on dates. <laughs> they were offering her jobs, yeah, disclosing sensitive information. And some of the military were even taking photos of themselves in theater deployed. And like you said, that GPS uh, tag was not removed. Like they didn't shut off location services. So with these photos, of these military members, we could tell exactly where those troops were at or stationed or, you know, where their movements were. Um, so there's a lot that goes into operational security. And I know that some people feel overwhelmed when they start thinking about operational security because every little thing can be, deter- you know, be determined as a risk. Um, just depends on you know acceptable risk and, and what you're willing to expose. Uh, yeah. But on a day-to-day basis, I probably leak personal information. You know, I think everybody does to a certain extent. Now, is that information usable? Um, probably not. But still, it's information, and over a period of time, little tidbits of information can build you know a complete yeah. picture. And and this is the thing, right? We're not having a conversation about privacy and opsec to make people paranoid. It's right. like an awareness thing, right? Where um, it comes down to it comes down to threat modeling, doesn't it? It is who is likely to target you, and and only the people listening will know their their individual. You know, are they a mom- member of anonymous, or is it simply that they just want to protect their bank account details? You know, just normal day to day things. You know, they'll be able to think of specifically who is likely to target them, and then what kinds of capabilities will will those people have? And mm-hmm. you know, knowing things like um, home addresses is is very often um, critical to credit card fraud, those kinds of things. Your home address is very likely to be your billing address. So if I can work out where you live from social media posts, those kinds of things, it, it can help in terms of like fraud. And Yeah, exactly. And I think there's certain levels of, of OPSEC too. You know, I think that it might be beneficial to kind of go over, you know, what some, you know, a home user would, would determine um, what yeah. good OPSEC would be. Uh, yeah, and maybe, you know, IT professionals, what we, what we would do as a group. Mm-hmm. So as far as like uh, everyday person, you know, Jack or Jane walking down the street, as far as OPSEC goes, um, social media, I think, is the biggest one, uh, one of the biggest violations of OPSEC, Um, even on, you know, a family level. Mm -hmm. uh, We're posting photos of their kids, not necessarily, you know, making them private or limiting the audience, Um, accepting, you know, invitations to uh, connect with people on, let's say, Facebook. Um, that are either you know spam accounts or accounts known for trolling or grabbing personal information. Um, there's all kinds of little things you can do. Uh, yeah. Very up routine. I know everybody likes to have a routine, but the the biggest downfall to OPSEC is routine. Um, yeah. I've I've seen military organizations, foreign organizations, completely ruin themselves off of routine. Um, and that, that's good for everybody, you know, even at home is to, you know, vary your routine up a little bit, you know, get a change in, in scenery um, and don't be too predictable. Uh, now, as far as IT goes and, you know, security professionals, I think we go to the extreme sometimes when we don't necessarily need to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I have a FIPS 140 uh, certified USB stick with a with a pen code on it Yeah. Uh, that I keep all my sensitive data on. Do I think, I really I think uh, that that's a good thing, though. Um, so, like, let's let's briefly kind of, I guess, try and make a list of things. So, we we mentioned uh, GPS coordinates in photographs. So, people listening in, looking for advice, you can turn that off. That's in location services. You just mentioned privacy settings on social media. 
you can check those. If everything is set to public by default, it's probably going to be bad. You want to look at a more restrictive option, you know, friends only. Friends of friends isn't necessarily useful if your friends are following people that you distrust or following fake accounts. Yeah, um, exactly. Photo content, you know, things in the background of photos, we've mentioned that, but you mentioned here, um, you know, <laughs> FIPS 140 USB pen, so, so secure USB. I think a lot of people might think that's over the top, but how easy is it to lose removable media, you know, to, to drop a USB pen? And exactly. if, you're, if it's not encrypted and you're not securely erasing its content every time, it isn't necessarily the files that are on it. It's what has previously been on it if we can recover those. Exactly. And that's not difficult to do. But yeah, I think that, you know, sometimes I go overboard when it comes to operational security. Mm -hmm. But in the past, I've had to maintain operational security during investigations, you know, that were ongoing with me. And, you know, you, you get that paranoid sense where you feel like you have to protect everything. Um, you know, always deleting everything. You know, if, if I log into a website and if it was just like a social media website, um, I would erase everything. I went through, once my investigations start, I went through everything and killed social media profiles. I killed, um, you know, Twitter profiles. Mm -hmm. I killed a lot of accounts on operational security because I knew that was the easiest way to track me down. Um, and for people, you know, that, that have kids, we had a problem with this in the States is that when, you know, going back to the photos, I hate to harp on that, but mm -hmm. a lot of kids don't go into those settings. Um, and parents really need to pay attention to it because we had a problem in the States where, um, pedophiles were approaching kids and getting them to send photos Yeah, and they were taking those photos and doing exactly what we're talking about, extracting metadata, the exit data and actually going and harassing these kids or stalking them or, you know, even worst case scenarios. Um, so that's really important is protect, you know, the other parts of your family that can't necessarily protect themselves Yeah. Uh, and keep your own operational security up to date. So talked a lot about, about photographs. We talked a little bit about, about social media. What aspects, like what other aspects of day to day life should, should people be concerned about? Um, I would just be any, any communication, any kind of, uh, engagement or communication you have with people you don't know um i'm always suspect to uh and that may be the paranoia side uh coming out but you know if someone knows too much about me and i've never met him before that always draws a red flag um also when people ask for more information of what you think they should have via the phone mm -hmm. uh you know trying to do vishing phishing scams or even just trying to target you target you individually yeah uh, Try not to give out too much information unless you can actually see that person and verify who they are and who they're with. And, and it's very difficult to do over the phone. Yeah. Um, I think um, I think one of the big things as well would be thinking about every time you have a communication, how that communication could, could come out. So you might think you're talking to this person, that's the end of it, but maybe that person will... Uh, take some screenshots and share that because you know you said something funny and they wanted to post a joke to, to Twitter or something like that or yeah. uh, There's some other context in which that could be shared. I give you a, a good kind of niche But but really interesting example recently I was working with uh, local government and uh, Local government comes under you know the Freedom of Information Act and, and those kinds of regulations where occasionally documents have to be shared and as part of one of these disclosures uh, the uh, an email thread was, was shared and the email thread, a person had gone through, or I presume a person because there was mistakes in it, but a person had gone through and redacted certain details from that thread. 
So they had redacted uh, email addresses, but not names. So you could see who was talking to who and, and about what content, but there, there was certain contact information that was redacted. However, in that particular disclosure, which is just public now, it's just on Google, um, one of the members of that, of that local government organization had um, sent an email to themselves you know, they were working between devices or something and they, they you know, um, sent an email to themselves so they could get it on the other machine. Everybody's done that, right? Trying to transfer data between machines. Yep. But but they'd used their personal email address. Oh, nice. So, so now in that official government disclosure, publicly available information, it, it ties their work email address to their personal email address. So there's yeah. like, there's just keep, keep thinking every time you have a communication, it's like, you know, how could this be released? And for most people, it's, it's probably minimal ways, but you've got to consider like, you know, what happens if this came out? Yeah, knowing that, but, you know, you look at, you know, like a family unit and let's say the, you know, the father or mother goes to work mm-hmm. and they're very active on social media. A lot of people don't understand that what you say on social media can actually be tracked back to your company. And I've seen people lose their jobs over postings on social media I've seen, you know, people like uh, companies robbed because of things that were posted on social media. Um, there, there's all kinds of, of issues when it comes to bleeding your personal with your with your work life and letting yeah. those accounts letting those accounts be intertwined. Um, I've even seen people use their work address to register for a social media account. So. Yeah, I, I see that a lot, and and that's relevant not only in the privacy side of things; it's relevant in the security side of things. You know, if yeah. we can if we can compromise a work account, that might allow us into into the personal side of things. You know, if somebody's um, hacking companies and they can pick up a, a PayPal account here and there or a, or a personal bank account here and there, they're going to take it right because it's profit for them. Um, yeah. So, so, so linking those things together can exasperate a breach. Um, mm-hmm. And also, you might not work there forever, and <laughs> you know, you might go somewhere else and then no longer have access to that that email address, and that could just be inconvenient from a, you know. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> that but it can be very risky too. I, I think there was a large amount of executives that were using their work email to register for Ashley Madison before uh, the database got popped. Oh, that that's an interesting one. Actually, <laughs> the, just just in case people somehow aren't familiar with Ashley Madison or maybe forgotten that story, Ashley Madison it's like a, an affairs website, right? So we broadly categorize it as adult entertainment. And there was a, a breach of that website so that uh, personal details were, were leaked. And one of the concerns there is, you know, it's tying people to, to things that might have an impact on their personal life, tying people to um, a desire for an affair or their particular uh, personal favorite type of adult entertainment. One of the interesting things from the Ashley Madison breach, though, is um, not all websites require you to confirm your email address. Yep. So if you sign up for a website, you could sometimes sign up for a website with anybody's email address or to be honest just mistype your yeah. own and, and you, you link you link your account to somebody else's email address right and then if there's a breach that comes out um you know people might infer that that person was on that website when, when actually they, they weren't so there's just understanding like when it comes to information disclosure there's there's different levels of like accuracy right no doubt, you know anyone who's done a pen test and has looked at researching an organization doing open source intelligence gathering, sometimes you uh, gather pieces of information that you're not sure about. You know, it's like this might be this this person's mother's maiden name, or mm-hmm. or it might not because because there's no there's no like guarantees there, right? There's no website you can put everybody's data into and check if it's right for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty amazing. We use some pretty advanced. Uh intelligence tools and collaboration mm-hmm. tools in the military. Uh, but 
nothing compares to social media it is the best intelligence tool that 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 is out yeah. there because it builds such a beautiful intelligence picture with the net with the network right with the, everybody your your network too um and not not to not to mention you know we talked about how posts can can affect your personal and your and your business life but you also got to consider being tagged um, and being included in posts uh, whether yeah. it be social media or whatnot uh, that may be questionable um so I, I kind of I, I keep a, a heavy filter on when it comes to adding people to my networks or you know my settings when it comes to being tagged in something. Yeah, um, I usually try to avoid that, and I don't let people just randomly you know tag me in things because you know I, I don't know who their network completely involves. And if you know if you get a chance, it's really interesting to sit down and just take a look at your own network on social yeah. media. And see all the things that may be operational security issues. I think I think that there's a big uh, like a key part of that. Um, you know, people think of privacy settings as like private friends, friends of friends, and public. And a lot of people will default to friends of friends, thinking like, oh, there's a mutual link here, right? So so those people are probably fine, and you're, you're probably likely to have met many of them, and, and might want to connect with many of them. But what the friends of friends thing can do when we're targeting an organization or trying to find information out about an individual is I only have to connect to one of your friends group and we're a friend of a friend, right? So mm-hmm. if everybody has the, the friend of friend option set, I don't have to get huge numbers of people from a company to add me yeah. to that network to get large amounts of data. I need mm-hmm. one. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's pretty scary. Um, and there's there's people and groups out there that specialize in strictly just violating operational security. Um, Anonymous is one of them. Um, yeah, in U.S. military, are like wizards at you know operational security and breaching everybody else's operational security. Um, we had an actual class in intelligence school that was over operational security, mm-hmm. and it literally was almost as long as my math course for <laughs> signal intelligence. Yeah. So. And there's a lot that we could talk about, and I, I hate to harp on social media, but it, you know, the more the more we talk about it, and the more I think about it, social media has become such a way of life for pretty much everybody. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people's lives, unfortunately, revolve around social media, and I think that's what you know that may be another vulnerability within the whole operational security picture, is making social media and things like that the center of your life, um, because that's really easy to breach. Yeah, and it, when we look at things like you know this this kind of tiered approach to operational security, where most people don't need, you know, a, a military or intelligence level of, of operational security, they just want to to make it harder to protect themselves. Um, right. Looking at, at things like separating networks out is a really good thing to do. You know, there's, there's options like a lot of websites let you sign into that website with your social media account. You can like log in with LinkedIn or log in with Facebook, kind of thing. And then just considering the risks around those options, massive convenience. You don't have to register an account with that website, but you know what would happen in the event of a breach. You know how much of your social media information would then be caught up in that breach if you link those two accounts. And and very often when you uh, go to log into websites and they allow you to log in through social media, it'll tell you right there. You know there'll be a button that says you know what information will be shared. A lot of people don't check those things out, so it's it's worth just looking. And you know, like you mentioned earlier, it's just take a look at your network and take a look at you know who's involved in that and what information is disclosed through your own network. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've seen so many things leaked through you know the internet and through social means that have really been damaging to people's lives. Um, and with anonymous, we we made 
you know, a career out of it basically is doxing people and, and bringing information that you don't necessarily want to reveal mm-hmm. to the public. Um, you know, that's being on the other side of the fence. It's easy to, to look back and go, you know, we used to do this and, and people should probably change the way that they, that they operate. Yeah. But the scary thing is, is out of 10 people that probably listen to that message, probably two of them will change the way that they operate on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. So. Yeah, a lot of people get, get complacent, don't they? Or they, they maybe only consider partially. So they'll look yeah. at things like, um, you know, their own social media accounts, but maybe won't look at uh, that integration with um, their employment and, and things like, you know, sharing email addresses between work and home. Exactly. I think one of the biggest operational security um, events that shocked me was when they started the bring your own device to work. Oh, yeah. That's- yeah, that shocked me. You know, in a place where we, you know, preached about operational security, then we started allowing people to bring their own devices, um, which opened up the door to a whole another issue. But um, yeah, I mean, just little things that a company can do to, you know, help enhance their operational security. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of companies, oil and gas specifically, there's still a number of companies that allow USBs to be utilized on laptops. Yeah. Um, there's just little changes that, that you may think is a hindrance to your operations. It may slow things down just a little bit, Yeah. but there, there are certain control measures that need to be put in place no matter how much time it takes away from operation. Um, because, you know, when I, when I sit down and talk to a, to a board and they have questions about, well, you know, that's going to take X amount of time to implement and it's going to be very difficult. But in the thing is, do you want to take that time and maybe spend that little, little bit of extra money now, mm-hmm. or do you want to wait till after you're breached <laughs> and then you have to pay fines and then you lose your company yeah. or your brand? I think um, a big thing on that from the security professional side of things, if, if people are listening to this and like strongly agreeing and, and worrying about you know other people at their organization, maybe you know the the audience works in IT and want to lock down USB devices. I think one of the big things to bear in mind is like what alternative solution are you providing to these people if you exactly. just lock out um, usbs and people can't easily share uh, documents then they're going to start emailing them to themselves and things like that and you're going to have issues like we talked about previously so i think from the security professional side of things anytime we look to bring in a control you need to balance that against convenience you know how is this going to impact the employee's ability to do their job their ability to work conveniently and is there something else that we can provide them? Is it as simple as you know providing them an encrypted USB device? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's kind of what I did um, to get away from having to, you know, find storage and go through all the control measures for saving um, data for reports for pen testing. Yeah, I went ahead and just got a Pips one forty um, USB drive to carry that those documents with. Um, but it all it all goes back to what level of security do you need? Well, you don't really know unless you assess the risk that you have and what you're trying to protect. Um, because my operational security may be different from the next person's because of maybe the data that I have or things in my past that I have to keep mm-hmm. quiet. Um, you know, so it may be different for everybody, but everybody yeah. can sit down and create a checklist on, you know, take a look at what they're protecting, why they're protecting it, and how they plan on protecting it. Um, and then with that list, go through your social media accounts, go through your day-to-day operations, and then compare the two. Am I doing that? Yeah. And not, what do I need to do to be compliant with my own regulations? I think a, a big thing as well is, like, we've talked about social media a lot, but a, another thing is just the data that your phone holds on you. And, yeah. um, you know, sometimes a lot of this is, 
you you hold it because these devices or these organizations make it easy to hold that data now. You know, I um, recently changed mobile phone and uh, as part of the migration, so taking the data from my old phone to my new phone, I had like 14,000 photographs on Jeez. that device. And it's just like, oh yeah, because you take a photograph or, or very often uh, like a screenshot of something. And then, you know, you do whatever you, you need with it, you know, take a selfie, put it on social media, and then you forget that it's there. Or you can t- take a screenshot of like a, a bill or a receipt or something like that, and then you forget that it's there. And, and a lot of it might just be like, you can securely archive that data. You know, like right. you don't have to say, oh, you should, you know, uh, factory reset and purge your devices once a week or something like that. It can just be like, make it harder to get to. If you haven't yeah. looked at those photographs in months, take them off that device, take them off the cloud service, you know, yeah. Put it somewhere that it's it's harder to get to. It's there if you need it. You've still got a backup, but it's not as easy for me to like pop one account and then access everything. Yeah, exactly. I actually went and got an SD card holder that I can connect to my phone. Mm-hmm. So if I'm saving a document or taking photos or whatever, yeah. I can save to that that SD card that's working as a USB stick. Mm-hmm. Um, that way, it minimize the footprint on the phone. Um, but that that's that's the biggest thing is that people. I mean, naturally, there's there's a hoarding capability or, or tendency yeah. for most people um, and that goes the same with data you know people hoard data just like they do physical things um, and it's sometimes easy. that it's yeah, easy. <laughs> big time especially when when drives went from being you know we thought you know 512 megabytes was huge and then you go from that to terabytes you know yeah. I, I think i have like two two terabyte drives that are completely full and i probably don't need maybe a tenth of that data yeah so yeah, hoarding hoarding data is another way to, to risk your operational security. Yeah, I think there's there's like two sides to it, isn't there? There's there's um, some public information that uh, is a privacy risk, and then there there is something that will like exasperate a breach. So you know, just hoarding data is not necessarily a risk into itself until you get breached, and then suddenly yeah. you have access to so much more. Yeah, key. I think the key word for every uh, situation is after the breach. I can't, I can't count how many yeah. times I've used that term after the breach when talking about money to secure a network. Yeah. Uh, and people always want to lowball it. And that's the same way with, with operational security. You know, people want to do as little as possible to be safe. Um, but, you know, eventually that's going to catch up to you. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that people sometimes generally wrongly think is once it's public on the internet, that's it. It's there forever. And quite often that can be true with archiving websites, with scraping websites, those kinds of things. But, you know, a lot of people listening in, you're not that famous. And if you <laughs> if you clear it, it will make it so much harder to get to. There might not be an archived copy. There might not be somebody, you know, taking a screenshot of every single one of your tweets. Um, so just clearing out that data. I mean, you know, if, yeah. if you use um, Twitter or Facebook, those kinds of things, just looking at things like clearing out content older than six months. You know, not necessarily photographs. People tend to like to archive photographs, but um, just, you know, tweets, text, content, messages between friends, that kind of thing. Yeah. And my pet peeve, too, is when people post either on social media or any other platform where they're having an issue with maybe another user or a company or whatever, and they take screenshots of their private messages between yeah. them and that other person. Yeah. That is my pet peeve because you're violating not only your own operational security, but that other person's as well. Yeah. So people need to be cognizant of, you know, it's great to protect yourself, but also don't put anybody else at risk with, with you know, mistakes with operational security because it can't happen. I think I think that's a big thing as well because um, it's like, 
you know, you, you might be listening to this and thinking, thinking we're crazy because you don't have anything to hide, but you, you don't know what, you know, what situation other people are dealing with. And I'm not inferring that, you know, all of your friends are members of Anonymous, but they might have something that, you know, or might operate, might work for a company that doesn't allow that information to be shared. And, you know, you've got to protect those people as well. Yeah, exactly. You can end up in a, an investigation not even knowing it um, from, from a post somebody else made. Oh, so. yeah. And I mean, look at look at things like um, how how information could be inferred. So, you know, you might not be involved in something, but the information out of context might seem like you are. It's a really good yeah. example of this um, from a long time ago of um, people taking photographs of protests mm-hmm. and um, somebody got flagged as attending a protest when actually they were just walking past it, but they were in the photograph. Oh, yeah. And so, they're doing the same. Yeah. They're doing the same thing right now with drones taking drone video of yeah. protesters and they're catching people near near the vicinity of the protest, but not really involved with the protest itself. Yeah. And, and that can that can cause all kinds of problems. Um, just uh, just like in a completely avoidable way. Yeah. And, and the way that the U.S. works with identifying possible people of interest, just being identified as, as you know, a person that protests accidentally can almost ruin your life. So just be careful. Also with operational security, you can't have operational security without situational awareness. Yeah. So I think the the awareness definitely has to come first. You have to be aware of your own operations, be aware of what you're protecting and and be aware of what's going on around you and, you know, keep a pulse on, you know, what are the people that you're connected to, what they're doing. Um, I I try to be cognizant of what's going on around me all the time. because you never know when you're going to be caught in a situation where it could have been avoided had you had some kind of situational awareness. So a big part of it is like being aware of uh, of the current context that you're operating in, being aware of uh, why somebody might might target you or somebody that you're involved with, and and that could just be criminals looking for personal data, right? And then another thing we've talked about is like reducing the available information, right? Just reducing what what you're putting out there, reviewing mobile devices, reviewing cloud storage, and just just making uh, making it harder to get to those things or having less of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's there's books out there on operational security as far as, you know, from the military side of, side of the house. And it's really interesting to see some of the things that, you know, if you look back through history mm-hmm. and you look at some of the, the practices that they've had for operational security, it's interesting to see the evolution from let's say the the you know the Revolutionary War till now, or even Roman times until now, yeah. and how they dealt with operational security, how they dealt with uh, cryptography and stuff like that. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. There was a there's a lot of things in the military context around like misinformation campaigns and those kinds of things as well, which is probably not something we want to get into right now. But it, but it is um, it it can be as simple as in that context, like methods of hiding troop numbers, methods of making it seem that there's um, more parties involved that there are than there are in those kinds of things. Yeah, I think we saw that during COVID nineteen as well with the numbers that were being produced on infection rate and death rate in different countries. Just the different ways of counting, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, if people have listened in so far, we've talked about social media, we've talked about uh, mobile phone, cell phone usage. Um, what else is there to worry about? Is that it? You know, you, you clear out your mobile phone, you clear out your social media, you're done? Or is there other things that people day-to-day can, can help with? I think day-to-day, just situational awareness is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you have your operational picture down and, and you know what you're protecting, 
situational awareness is 24-7, and that's ongoing. That's not something you identify and then it goes away. That's something that's constant. And really the situational awareness is what's going to protect you even more than, you know, buttoning down all your social media accounts Um, because having that situational awareness is key. Yeah. Uh, Before military goes into combat, um, we always go over situational awareness. Uh, and it's not only what's going on around you, but what could potentially go on Yeah, with different events, the scenarios that we've built out. And we do the same thing with, with, uh, red teaming, you know, once we build the adversarial profiles, mm-hmm. um, then we go through the, the teaming event, but that situational awareness always is, is prevalent yeah. through every piece, every step of the, the testing. I have a good example of situational awareness versus, um, complacency. <laughs> I won't give the specific details, but it's on a trend with a colleague a little while ago. And uh, we were sitting talking, we both had laptops in front of us, uh, you know, just just um, talking about unrelated things, but the laptops in front of us are work machines. So those those screens, have, they've got privacy screens on them, right? And right. I noticed whilst I was having a conversation with this colleague that somebody behind them appeared to take a photograph of them. Now, you know what it's like with, with mobile phones, like if somebody holds a phone up, did he take a selfie or did he take a photograph yeah. of your screen, right? You, you don't know because there's a camera on each side. So I just mentioned it to my colleague. I was like, hey, the person behind you might have taken a photograph of your screen. I don't know what he's got on his screen because I can't see it. We're, we're facing each other. But just, just so that he's aware of that. And uh, his immediate default response to that was like, oh, it's okay. I've got a privacy screen. You can't see anything. And then yeah. we actually checked it out. We went, you know, uh, and, and stood where the photograph was taken from. You absolutely could see that screen because privacy screens reduce the risk, but they're not perfect, right? It's not like, yeah. you know, you're two feet behind someone that you can't see anything. It's, I mean, those are best on angles, but yeah, you've, you've still got to be uh, aware of those kinds of things. I think some people might laugh at that saying, well, you shouldn't do anything confidential in a train, but I right. do think a lot of people will fall back on things they think protect them like privacy screens uh, yeah. and maybe fall foul of that. I mean, re- really, the, the risk on a train is probably the same as risk in the office, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, so yeah, I know people who do on the road work all the time. Um, and I've seen same issue pop up yeah. with either, you know, someone trying to take a photo or someone listening in on a conversation, you can tell they're eavesdropping. Um, but that goes back to situation where it's like you said, you know, and communicate with the people you're with, you know, whether it be business partners or family members, you know, that's part of situation awareness is being able to communicate between the two to keep the operation running smoothly. Yeah, and, and situational awareness is a lot easier, right? If there's more than one person paying attention to, to the situation, you know, who's listening in, who's watching, who's looking at things they shouldn't. So it yeah, all exactly. links together. Yep. But, and also another thing, too, with operational security, mm-hmm. we touched on briefly was separate accounts, right? So I think I probably have like four or five different email accounts and for various reasons. But, you know, keeping those accounts and keeping those identities completely separate yeah. um, is also key. And I know within within Google, you can create multiple email addresses, right? Yeah. Um, just don't use your previous email address to be the security email address for the new email. I've seen people <laughs> do that where they've created like seven different accounts to you know, run an operation. Yeah. And I hit one of the email addresses, I'm able to look back at, you know, you know do some MX digging on it, end up finding out that all of the accounts are related to one person because they use that same address as you know, the security question. So try yeah, to mix. quite often uh, phone numbers as well, using a, a phone number for the, the reset can, can tie accounts together. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, I guess very briefly at the end of this, this conversation, we should talk about 
burner accounts, burner phones, those kinds of things. Um, in what ways can they help? And in what ways are they uh, snack oil? Well, I, I can tell you the a burner phone pretty much saved me from doing a lot of time in prison. Um, when I was doing oh, tell work... us the details of the crimes. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I was doing work for the FBI as a CI, uh-huh. uh, I had to have a burner phone and a burner email address, and that's how we communicate was through disposable means. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, burner phones are great. Uh, I use one quite often, but it goes back to need and to risk. You know, you know, a, a soccer mom who lives at home and is mm-hmm. a stay-at-home mom probably doesn't need a burner phone. Um, but depending on, you know, if, if you do need a burner phone, then, then you have some sort of, of elevated risk within your operation. And burner phones are good. Burner email addresses are good. There's actually encrypted um, email addresses out there uh, that use a different level of encryption. Like, I, I think Hushmail used to be one of them. Yeah. Um, I used a, a email service called riseup.net. Mm-hmm. Um, which was pretty decent, uh, but there's ways to to hide communications um, that are more secure. Uh, but yeah, burner phones are good. Burner email addresses are good. And also, um, when it comes to like, you know, let's say you're going to Starbucks, mm-hmm. uh, get your own hotspot. You know, don't ride other people's Wi-Fi. Yeah, you, you can go to your cell phone company, and they have the mobile devices that that work as hotspots. Um, they're a little bit more expensive, but also it saves you from having to ride somebody else's Wi-Fi. Yeah, I think um, the the burner accounts thing, um, it, it's exactly what you were saying. It, it's um, what level of privacy you're looking for. So I think a lot of people will listen to you like the idea of needing a burner phone and say, well, I'm not, you know, a career criminal, so that doesn't apply to me. So, mm-hmm. so something that, you know, might might be relevant is if you are attending an event, and that event is likely to share your email address with, you know, the, the vendors at that event. Mm-hmm. You might not want that from a privacy side of things just because you don't want to get like, you know, <laughs> an inbox full of spam from an event. So setting yeah. up a temporary email address for that event can allow you to participate, but can allow you to control the level of, of um, who you are sharing that contact information with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that, you know, a lot of this can be thwarted, to be honest with you, if people would just read the fine print. Yeah. Um, when signing up for a service or when creating an account or a profile somewhere, read the fine print because the answers are there, but they rely on the fact that nobody reads those legal documents and really nobody does. And Facebook got away with it for a very long time. Yeah. Um, just read the fine print and then you can adjust your, you know, your operational security and situational awareness depending on what data that you know is going out the door. Um, and it gives you a better picture. Yeah, um, I think that's pretty much everything, isn't it? From a, like how to how to consider privacy and how to protect um, privacy. Um, is there any any other points that you wanted to add? No, I think that's about it. I think that you know, at the tail end of this pandemic and and what's going on politically around the world, I think that people's operational security and, and awareness needs to be at the top of the game. Yeah, because there's no telling how you know what turn this this whole deal is going to take with the political situation and what's going on in the U.S. and the Black Lives Matters. Um, so yeah, just protect yourself and be safe and, and communicate with the people that you care about because they're part of your operational picture. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and quickly summarize everything that we've been through then. Regardless of whether you are a career criminal or you simply want to control how marketing companies can advertise to you, uh, some of the things we've talked about 
controlling um, what and how GPS data is saved, so looking in location services on the mobile devices and turning off geotagging on photos, being uh, aware of where and when you're taking photos, so what's in the background, who else is in the background, what can we infer from the contents of that photograph. Uh, looking at things like uh, where that data is stored, you know, are the photos stored on your device or are they stored in a cloud service? Reducing the footprint size of things, reducing your attack surface. So maybe don't put it on the cloud if it doesn't need to be up there. You could store it locally, archive it locally. If you're like me and you've got 14,000 photographs on your phone, maybe put those into cold storage. You know, external encrypted devices are good for that kind of thing. Reducing the ability for an attacker to compromise a single device and have access to lots of things. USB drives, those are a risk. You could get a FIPS 140 certified one. Um, or you could just be very aware of the risk there uh, around losing them, those kinds of things. Encrypted devices is one approach or not using a device is another approach. Separation of personal and professional profiles. Don't use your work email address to sign up for your car insurance. Don't use your personal email address to sign into your work accounts, that kind of thing. That can be more broadly applied. So not only like personal and professional, but how are you tying um, different accounts? So like hobbies and those kinds of things, any kind of third party information sharing with those. Um, operational security is an ongoing thing. It isn't just a thing you do once a year where you check up on the health of your um, privacy. You need to keep it in mind um, throughout. So looking at things like the use of burner phones, the use of burner accounts, that isn't necessarily having a different mobile phone for every single contact, but looking at who are you sharing email addresses with, who are you sharing phone numbers with, trying to separate those, trying to limit those. And that's it. <laughs> Sounds good. It's a long list. <laughs> it's a long list. Um, and it, that, just, that just proves the point, right? It's hard. Like yeah. keep, Keeping things um, safe, keeping things private is, is hard. And we need to keep it in the back of our heads because, um, you know, privacy is uh, a right and we should protect it. Yep, exactly. Well, Mike, thank you very much for, for coming on again and having a, another rant with me. And for those who are listening in, no doubt we've, we've missed something from this list. We just put this together unscripted. So if you think there's some critical piece of information, uh, let us know over social media. And if it's pertinent, we'll add it to the show notes so that other people can see that as well. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.